Hello and welcome to the Age Space podcast that gives you ideas, inspiration and practical help about anything to do with elderly care. I'm Annabelle James and I founded agespace.org, which is a one-stop online resource for anyone anxious about or caring for elderly relatives. I'm really thrilled today to be joined by Dr Alex Bailey, who's an old age psychiatrist based in Westminster. And today we're going to try and tackle, ha-ha, dementia, which of course is not a very small topic at all, Alex. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, I don't even know where to start with dementia. Maybe you could perhaps explain how it works in your world. About half of the patients I see have got dementia. Old age psychiatrists are not the only professionals that manage dementia, but we tend to be the ones that deal with the problems as they cause more behavioural difficulties, mental health problems, etc. But obviously other people like geriatricians and neurologists and GPs are also really involved in diagnosis. But we see dementia as one of the hallmarks of our practice. And at what point are people referred to you in terms of their dementia I hate that word journey, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, for me personally, so I work in what's called a community mental health team. So it's separate from memory services, which people might have heard about, where people tend to go at the beginning of their dementia journey. So I see people later on in the illness, usually when their dementia is causing either behavioural or psychological difficulties or causing difficulties for carers as well. I tend to work with people at the more severe stages. What can you do? I mean, I guess I had slightly assumed that once somebody is at that point, that there's possibly not a huge amount that can be done. I'd be going home early, I guess, if there was not not a lot you could do. But there is, and I, I do think that that's one of the challenges we've got is trying to help people understand that there's a huge amount that you can do to help people live well and die well with dementia, actually. So I've got a big team, for example. I don't do anything by myself. So I lead a team, but it's full of psychologists, occupational therapists, nurses, social workers, And we work really as a multidisciplinary team. So we've got lots of things. So, I mean, medicines are only a tiny part of it. We don't have brilliant drugs in dementia. We've got some that that do have an impact and they do help with some of the confusion. They might stave off the symptoms progressing for a short while. But, you know, we don't have a cure or anything like it yet. Hopefully in the pipeline, something will be coming down. So medicines are a part of what we use. We use lots more psychological therapies these days, particularly with carers. So we're kind of now understanding much more that if you help the carer, you help the person with dementia themselves. So a huge amount of my work now is is with carers, really. And what, what kind of things are you doing? A lot of it is around really helping carers understand what dementia is, what it looks like at different stages in the illness, because it changes. You go from someone in milder stages where they might just have some word-finding difficulties or might occasionally forget some appointments, right through to people being very, very disabled, you know, problems with continence, with behaviour, sometimes becoming aggressive, etc. Caring for someone that you've loved day in, day out with those kinds of behaviours. And dementia essentially takes over the person. It robs people of their personhood. And our job really is trying to minimise some of those behaviours or help support them whilst maximising, if you like, that person's personhood and, and retaining who they are and what's important to them. A lot of our work is also around social interventions as well. So 
helping people stay at home, helping them with their functional abilities, so washing, dressing, all those kinds of basics. Sometimes it's also around admitting that living at home isn't feasible anymore and helping people through through that process of moving into different kinds of accommodation. So in my mind, I was thinking psychiatrist, psychiatrist chair, <laughs> chatting about your feelings. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't sound like you do much of that. Um, I definitely... this, that's kind of not how it works. No, it's not quite like that. So that, that might be more traditional psychotherapy. So I guess we're more dynamic in a way. That I'm not meaning to denigrate psychotherapy, but we're a very active team that are going out to people's homes all the time, doing lots of hands-on work. Our OTs might be assessing someone's functional abilities. We're doing lots of stuff around medicines and how well people are doing with that. But that's not to say we don't talk about feelings. Like That's what I do day in, day out. Um, and they're the root of how we all live and behave and, and thrive. So feelings and, are a big part of it. And does somebody living possibly quite a later stage of dementia, are those conversations, I, I mean, like, this is hugely generalising, I know. Are you still able to have those conversations with people at quite late stages? And does it make a difference? Well, if we substitute the word conversations for communication, everything's a communication, right? So it doesn't matter how severe someone's dementia is, they will communicate something to you in some form, even if, for instance, their verbal, their language skills are really reduced or even non-existent. People can still communicate. And I guess some of the expertise in our team is trying to work out those communications in someone who can't communicate in the traditional way. It is fair to say that as people's dementia progresses, a lot more of our work tends to focus on carers, the direct work. That's really important that the person themselves doesn't get forgotten. I've been in assessments, and I was guilty of this myself when I was training, certainly of ignoring the person with dementia, because you think, I can't get much out of them. I don't feel like that anymore. You can always get a communication, whether it's non-verbal or whatever. And presumably because you've got boots on the ground, as it were, do you see patterns emerging as well? Clearly everybody's different and how they respond is different, but are there tried and tested routes that you've discovered that almost work with everybody? I'd have to say no. And I'm really glad about that because I think otherwise I'd be bored and I don't think I'd be in the job anymore. And I often say this to students that the difference, I think, with mental health and psychiatry from some other branches of medicine is that the way mental illness affects you is completely and utterly different in every single person. So no one's depression will look the same as another person's. No one's dementia will look the same. There might be hallmarks around whether it's memory or language, etc., but mental illness affects your brain and your mind, so it's completely dependent on who you are as a person. So in a way, there's no one-size-fits-all. We work very much on an individual and what their needs are. And it sounds like Westminster's got loads of resources. <laughs> Shush. <laughs> is your team unique? Are you replicated all over the country? The trouble with old age psychiatry services, they're very different in different parts of the country. I mean, in fact, one of the troubles we've had is lots of old age services have disappeared and have become part of younger, what we call general adult services. And we're fighting that at the college because we don't think it's it's best for the older person. We think they need specific services and specific expertise. But we're not that unusual. My team's slightly unusual because I've got my kind of community mental health team, which you see in lots of places. But I also have a home treatment team, which is the crisis team within my wider team as well. So that's a bit unusual. But that's what makes the work really interesting as well, because we see people right from the start of when they're referred through points of crisis, sometimes into hospital and then back out. So we hold on to people for a long time. Every day in the newspaper, there's something about dementia, the scale of their problem. 
We haven't really even begun to understand it, I don't think, have we, in terms of the impact it's going to have on, well, on all of us, actually, whether that's the economy or how we live or how we care for people. I think we do know a lot about dementia, and I think there's a huge amount of research out there. Sometimes it's about translating that research and what we know on the ground in practice into the political world as well, because obviously dementia is extremely expensive for the country. We're talking about carers. The amount that the government save from unpaid carers is phenomenal. It's in billions, which is why I think there's increased recognition that we've got to help carers, because they're saving the country an awful lot of money, to be frank. We don't really understand quite the scale. I think we're fighting at the college constantly to say, actually... the College of Psychiatrists. Sorry, yeah, the Royal College of Psychiatrists, that this is going to be a massive problem. We we all know about the social care paper that is still not out yet. Local authorities are really on their knees. And the impact on that on health services has been staggering for me over the years, that actually social care just unfortunately cannot do what it needs to do anymore. The problem's too big and the budgets are shrinking. So a practical, granular, family level, really, what are the sorts of things that we should be doing for our older relatives to try and stave this thing off or slow it down or minimise it or do what we can do? Well, so we know a bit more about risk factors now. So if we're talking about Alzheimer's, which is the the commonest form of dementia, what we know now is the risk factors for that are very similar to the risk factors for vascular dementia, for example, which are very similar to the risk factors for things like having strokes and having heart attacks. So being brain healthy and being heart healthy are hugely important. So it's about making sure that diet is good, that you're getting regularly checked for things like blood pressure, cholesterol, all those kinds of stuff. But we know some more about other risk factors now so for instance hearing impairment is one thing that we now know is a big risk factor for dementia so in other words don't ignore hearing don't ignore vision if you can't see and hear the world you can't interact with it properly and the brain as it ages it needs that stimulation if you're not getting it all those other problems can start coming to the fore in the guise of dementia you don't think about those things, but they're really important. So if someone can't hear, get that fixed, get that sorted out. If someone needs new glasses or they need to go and see an optician again, get that done. Staying brain healthy. We're always reading about that in the newspapers. Should we all be doing Sudoku, Sudoku. and all that kind of stuff? There is some evidence. It's certainly not unhelpful. It's not a panacea. It's not going to stop you getting dementia. But keeping your brain active is certainly going to help in terms of the progression of your illness. So whilst it might not stop it from happening, it certainly might help you live better with it longer. But I can't stress enough as well the importance of physical exercise in terms of mental health. There's pretty robust evidence that if you keep people moving, that really, really helps in the longer term as well. That's incredibly helpful. Do you think we'll Get a cure anytime soon? Is there a magic pill coming down the line? I mean, I'm not an academic particularly, but obviously I keep my ear to the ground with this stuff. I think the general feeling is that possibly in the next five to ten years, we might have what's called a disease-modifying treatment. So I think there is a lot of hope and there's a lot of money in dementia research at the moment and there's a huge amount going on. I think what researchers have found is that lots of drugs have gone into development and have often ended up failing either early or or late stages, which I think has been disheartening. But we know an awful lot more now about the kind of underlying pathological processes in dementia and what happens to the brain at different stages. So there's lots of targets now about where we might be able to start making a difference in the course of the disease. 
I know that's a really quick skate round dementia. <laughs> is there anything particular that you feel is important to tell people? I suppose the one thing is, if you think someone you love and an older person is different for whatever reason, if they just don't seem themselves, first of all, ask them what's going on. Is something happening? And please don't be afraid to ask for help for it because a lot of these illnesses, even dementia, the earlier we catch it, the more you can do to help in the later stages. Certainly with depression, we can treat it. We can get rid of those symptoms. So don't be afraid to ask for help, whoever that might be from. Yeah, just ask. Thank you so much. It's just really, really useful and interesting and helpful. And yeah, I feel better about that already. But thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you. So huge thanks to Dr. Alex Bailey. Uh, We have lots more podcasts that can give you help with money matters, care and some more fun things like driving and holidays. So do look out for those. If you can rate and review us, it helps more people to find us. And thanks so much for listening.